Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts, Don Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. The music bed is extremely way too loud podcast. As always here at the <laughs> Digital 410 Media, we're always constantly making adjustments to increase your audible experience. Speaking of audible experience, you hear his voice in your sleep. It's the warm-sounding tones of Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how you doing today, sir? Hopefully enhancing the audible experience of our of our listeners. And as always, bring in the best experience possible, whether it's through audible or visual, museums or plastic airplanes hanging from your kid's ceiling, Mr. Jeff Copsetta. Jeff, how you doing tonight, sir? <laughs> That's a whole lot better of an intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> a whole lot better than the outro from no actually no never mind i was thinking about when i forgot to mention my brother on the other podcast he got mad we're doing the outro and i was so burned i i went over him but anyhow how are you guys doing it's been a long day yeah i feel like i've done this before today oh is this your first time laying down two episodes in a day i, I think it is well with us or i mean in general i mean have you done other podcasts two at a time no, never done that. No. Yeah. Well, see, you're, you're moving up in the world, Jeff. How you been? How are things in Texas? Well, I'd say they were hot, but it changed, so they're cold. But it's gonna be hot again tomorrow. It's Texas in March. I feel you. It. Uh, I've actually had my windows and doors open for the last two days. Like, oh, I can save money in AC. It. It was sweatshirt and hoodie and uh, sock hat weather this morning. It was like 52 when I got up this morning. Yeah. Cold. Sick of cold weather. <laughs> When's the last time you had a good warm snap up there, Henry? Week before last. Oh, yeah. Getting to sound like it was old. awesome. Awesome. I'm tired of the heat. I enjoy cool it, weather. I mean, last week, my son, it got cold again last week. Jack had a track meet, a mountain bike race, and then mountain bike practice yesterday. Froze my ass off. Well, you know. <laughs> And that's the thing that sucks nowadays with kids and sports. When we were kids, it was one baseball game. Your parents were out two hours on a Saturday, and that was it. Now, like, if you have kids playing volleyball, basketball, yeah. soccer, whatever, it's an all-day thing. And Jeff had two mountain bike races last week. And so. I know Jeff's kids are getting to that age, too, where they've probably been playing organized sports where he's like, well, Saturday's gone, <laughs> four hours with a yeah. uh, soccer and, and uh, baseball. I mean, it's a blessing, you know, as I'm sure Jeff would agree. But For the you, kids, but as the parent who works six days a week, like, I just want my Saturday off. Lose the game. Yeah, Lose the I game so we can go home. Uh, so what's going on, Jeff? Give us an update on, on your world. I know uh, you got a lot to talk about. Your, we pulled your cord. We're going to let you take off like the Energizer Bunny of old. Not the computer version, but the old analog stuff, Dan, that they used to put on TV back when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to make up for some lost ground. I, you know, I, as listeners know, I can't always be here, and it, it just kills me. And I have, have conversations with Henry about that. Like, man, y'all have a great one. I won't be there. Miss some amazing, ho, uh, you know, guests that y'all have on. And, um, but I appreciate y'all, you know, working with me through that because yeah, I do have a lot going on. But I will catch y'all up. I've got some really cool things to share. I was telling a few folks earlier today, like, oh man, you having an episode tonight? Like, yes, but you may want to tune in and watch this one on YouTube because I have a lot of show and tell stuff. So 
Um, First and foremost, they should be tuning in every episode, watching every episode on YouTube. But you know, please go ahead. I mean, absolutely, right? Um, you never know what you're going to see. So, um, yeah, about a week ago, um, well, maybe a little longer ago than that, I, I got a real good friend of mine who he's a combat medic. He's an active reservist stationed in Germany right now. He's in Ramstein. And um, he's just been traveling Europe, right? Just really enjoying the time he's got over there and the amount of time that he's got off, I guess, away from duty, really making the most of, of this deployment. So he sent me a message. He said, hey, dude, I'm sending you a package. Uh, but when it gets there, you know, give me a, a a call through Instagram or whatever. So he said, I got some things to explain. And I was like, oh, okay. Now he's already sent one care package before, and it's been with, you know, cookies and chocolates from different countries in Europe and just stuff for the kids and Tammy and everything, which was really cool. I mean, he's the guy that's overseas and he's sending me care packages. He'd be like, what a guy, right? So I get this other package and it's real tight. Let me just compact with again tins uh, from uh, you know, belgian wafers and chocolates from france and germany and all cookies and all these sweets package of cookies from poland and this amazing stuff then kind of down below all the tasty treats and goodies you need to find out what it's, his favorite regional potato well i guess he could get any of that on amazon i was gonna say you need to find out what his like favorite regional potato chips that he can't get overseas and like hook them up I keep asking him. I mean, he's he's going on the Band of Brothers tour with me. He already bought a ticket. I'm like, dude, I'll bring you something. He's like, ah, I'm good. I don't need anything. Okay. I mean, obviously, I'm going to bring him something. But, yeah, down down under all these treats was, like, the real good stuff. So I'm pulling all this stuff out, and there's packets of papers and everything. Okay, this is probably why I need to call him. So I did. And he goes, okay, you know, first things first. And I'm just going to kind of show you guys um, as I'm talking about it. But, um about a six to eight inch length of old rusty barbed wire. And, uh, you know, you can imagine, okay, what World War One battlefield did this come off of is what I was first thinking. And uh, you're absolutely right. He said, this is, uh, this is the wire from Verdun around the American defenses. Yeah. Um, so now, for the listening audience, are you kind of surprised at the lack amount of rust on that for how old it is? It's actually not bad. I mean, I think part of it, I don't know if it was down in the ground. I, I You know, he didn't really go into that. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think it's it's probably the quality of steel maybe or something. But, I mean, it's still pretty durable. I mean, I'm not afraid to give it a little flex. You know, I mean, some of the stuff you see, it just kind of like yeah, snaps. snaps you know, that's it. Um, so really cool there. You know, some World War One history. That's a type of artifact. Uh, you got to put a disclaimer on your display. No touchy at pokey. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, then then there was a Ziploc bag with a little piece of paper and a map of um, what Stalag Luft 3 looked like, where all the buildings were, and um, the hospital. There was a coal store, and then the cooler, right? And, of course, if anybody's seen The Great Escape, you can picture Steve McQueen, the cooler king, right? He was always getting sent to the cooler, and he's sitting in there with his old ball, and he's bouncing the baseball off the wall and the cooler. Um, so uh, this is a big rock chunk of concrete that came from the cooler on Stalag Luft 3. So I can only imagine what this wall, you know, what this rock saw and how many of those guys were, you know, put in there for days on end. Um, it's surprisingly light. It's like, it's almost like, 
when you're holding it up like to the camera, it looked like a small chunk, but as you rotate it away and we can see the size in contrast with your fingers, you realize it's it's a pretty good chunk. I'd say it's yeah. about the size of a playing card a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, about that. Maybe not quite as long. As thick as uh, the entire deck. <laughs> yeah, about the size of the thickness of a deck of cards. You're right. That's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, and there's one side that's much darker uh, than the other, so I'm assuming that darker side was probably what was exposed on the inside of the cooler there. It's It's got some black mark on it. I really tried to look to see if there was any kind of etching or tally marks or anything. You know, I didn't really see anything on there. Um, so... Yo, that was just like, wow, this this is really cool, dude. Then the really good stuff showed up, right? And so as I'm talking through this, he says, okay, the, you pull this packet out. I'm like, okay. So there was this big packet, and he's got some color pictures. And what he did was he sent me uh, samples of soil from 18 different battlefields. And Europe. then a bunch of blank documents said, fill out these soil reports so I can put them at work and get my job done. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the packet goes along with the order. So uh, there's a vial mark number one, a vial mark number two. So he said, if you stack one on top of two and start at the top, that's the order of uh, how it appears in the packet. And this is all stuff he did on his own, right? Not only does he give me Not a little... he collect all this stuff, but he spends like three and a half weeks of his own personal time cataloging and distributing it to you. Oh, I know. I mean, this guy's incredible. So, yeah, not only does he give you a little, like, uh, synopsis of the battle. He goes, you know, just in case there were some. He said there were places I'd never really heard of. So I said, I gave you a little synopsis of the battle. I gave you a YouTube link. But to me, I thought the coolest thing was he gave me <laughs> GPS coordinates. Oh, that's sweet. To exactly mm -hmm. where the sample came from. So he said, you can look at that if you want to look at a map of the battle and see exactly where this dirt come from. So just to give you an example, I'm not going to read all of these, but to give you an example of some of these places. So Bella Wood, right? Every Marine just perked up. Mm -hmm. uh, battle of Battle of Aracourt, Lorraine Campaign, uh, Herdgen Forest. Um, let's see, Bastogne. Uh, of course, the Blazjak and what was a shell hole or a foxhole. Uh, fight at the crossroads. Uh, we, we know the crossroads pretty well if you've, uh, if you've seen Band of Brothers. Um, let's see. Blue Beach. Dieppe. Um, my gosh. I mean, it just goes on and on. There was one. I uh, can't remember where it was. Uh, there's a Battle for Hill 223. Sergeant Alvin York. Um I want to say there was one from the Gaelic Wars, too. There, here we go. Battle of Alasia, September 52 BC, 12 Roman legions with cavalry and auxiliaries. This soil is from the site of a failed final charge against Caesar's ring of fortifications from 52 Damn. BC. So, um, you know, this guy, I, 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 I've known him for years now. Uh, we met reenacting. And he's just always just bent over backwards. He's a heck of a reenactor. But let me tell you, like, I, I wish everybody had a friend like like I have a friend. In tell Staff me about Sergeant it. Purs I ain't got because, no dirt. Man, I mean, what a guy. 
what what a guy to send me all of this. Um, so I wanted to give him a shout out. Like I said, he's serving this great nation in uniform in Germany. And uh, while he may not have the most stressful time over there, it looks like he's certainly making the most of his time. And he literally sent me a message, said, whatever you need for content for What's the Scuttlebutt. If, he said, look, I've been to these places so many times. Awesome. If you've got a listener that's wanting to travel, he said, I am at your disposal. Sweet. I can tell you all the best places to eat, where to stay, where to go, and, and how not to waste your time navigating through Europe and all these battlefields in history. So, Well, this would be a, a well nice done. little segue. Um, we didn't really mention it at the top of the show for the guys watching on YouTube and those of you listening to this show tomorrow. Stick around for part two. Uh, me and Henry sat down with um, Saul David, but the ring is I bring this up, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. As an IT guy, maybe it's because I'm so burnt out on computers when I get home and I want nothing to do with them. But Henry was explaining to me, and this is so simple, but I, I feel so dumb that I never, never even crossed my mind to do this. Um, and this would be great for your coordinates. He gave you the coordinates for your dirt. Henry's like, yeah, when I read these books, I just go on Google Maps and look at the battlefields. I'm like, I never thought of that. So it'd be perfect. Like, you could put those coordinates on Google Maps and zoom in and see exactly what the area looks like. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking, man. I mean, Hurricane Forest. I, I, Hurricane Forest is one of my favorite battles of Europe. I've, I haven't read anything on it this past winter, but I, I wanted to hear more about your soil from Hurricane Forest. I'd like to know exactly what where it was. Yeah, but, but I don't want to interrupt what that. Don was saying. I mean, well, but, yeah. yeah, no, we're going to get back to the soil here in a minute. And what, and as we're talking about later on, is a lot of these battlefields have now been, um, you know, developed. But even the ones that haven't, if they have a good road going through it, you can get down at the road level with thanks to the Google car and actually yeah, street view, street yeah. view, and spin around 360. So Jeff should definitely do that with his soil reports. Out of all those soils he sent you, which one, like? Got the hair standing up on you a little bit more than the others. Obviously, you're excited about all of them, but every collection, even a micro collection, there's got to be a, a favorite of the group. Yeah, I mean, it was really uh, not a marine, but I mean, Bella Wood. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing to see that. And I'll be honest, I think the sands from Dunkirk really impressed me because you can actually see little bits of seashells down in there. You can kind of spin. Uh, these vials sideways and really kind of get a good surface area to see what's inside of them. And it's, it's really interesting. Well, it's going to be hard to tell on this camera, but it's really interesting to see the, the, the colors, the grains. I mean, there's, there's whites, tans, oranges, browns, you know, burnt yellow color. You should uh, take black. those to work it's... and head down to the science department, throw some of those on a slide, look under a microscope, check them out. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I mean, anyway, heck of a dude. Just thanks a lot, buddy. I'm going to see you here in a couple months. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was a really cool surprise. It came at the beginning of my spring break, and then the end of my spring break, which we just celebrated this past week. We have an early spring break here in Texas. Um, uh, the air show, 31st annual air show. It was the first air show uh, in the 2023 season. And, you know, so we, we're kind of used to that. We kick off the air show season, you know, in the U.S. But it was also uh, the first one since the fateful air show. Oh, yes. At Wings over Dallas. and Especially um, the home state. Yeah. You know, we, for being a small, you know, smaller hangar, smaller museum, uh, smaller squadron, the pressure was really on and the microscope was really zooming in on us. And, uh, there was a, there was a time 
uh, less than two weeks before the air show started where we were not approved by FAA to have an air show. And we really started scrambling through a thousand page document to make sure that this waiver could get approved. And the emergency safety plan was put into effect. And all day Friday, we're running scenarios with EMS, fire, police running down the runway, sirens on, you know, I mean, the whole drill. Um, and when all was said and done, the FAA, of course, they were there. Inspectors were there through the whole pilot briefing all the way through the end of the show. And they said, we have set the bar for air shows now, which was just such a huge pat on the back. Um, early attendance numbers, and who cares about that, right? If you had one eight-year-old kid that loves airplanes and come, that's a success, right? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at the attendance, um, it was the second highest ever attendant. It was going to be hard to break last year's record. But last year it was like 75 degrees and perfection. Mm -hmm. uh, this year was 52 degrees, but it started off in the high 30s, overcast, you know, not the best day to stand outside. No, but as somebody um, wearing wool and a leather jacket, you're like, it's beautiful out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for us, right? Living history. I said the same thing, like, man, I'll be fine in my A2. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with that said, for the, for folks who may not realize this, we have a lot of the stunt aircraft, too. It's not just old World War II warbirds flying left to right. We have a lot of those stunts that are... They're, they got the smoke generators on and they're doing hammerheads and triple snap rolls and everything. And cooler, thinner air definitely helps the aircraft perform a lot better than if it was 100 degrees and humid. So from that perspective, and of course, overcast skies, but a high ceiling, like 7,500 feet, something like that. So it's a perfect white backdrop for every picture taken in the air. You know, no direct sunlight for us. So um that part was a success and you know um to be able to i i had time to take one picture right because you know i'm running all the ground acts and everything else um but i got to take a picture with one of my favorite world war ii veterans that i've ever met colonel joe mcphail he flew with vmf 323 off okinawa flew corsairs i know henry's digging that uh, VF, uh, VM, VMF 323, where uh, they were called the Death Rattlers. Okinawa, Man, I love the Death II. Rattlers. And then uh, flew in Heavy Korea. Heavy Okinawa. Right, right. Um, yeah, and then flew in Korea, combat in Korea, with none other than VMF 214. Baba Black Sheet in Korea. So, yeah, he also flew Wildcats and the uh, F9s. So... Just a heck of a guy. If y'all go on, on the Instagram and see the picture of him and I, the man looks great. We're joking mm -hmm. around. He always remembers me. He's 102 years old, and he's coming from five hours away. And just to talk to him and his son, uh, his son was telling me, uh, guys, this is this is incredible. They are putting a huge uh, dedication to Colonel McPhail together nice. at the Oshkosh Air Show. It's the, it's, I think it's the last weekend in July, right? Largest air show in the world. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. They have 18 airworthy Corsairs flying in from all over the place. Could you come imagine in the sound of that know. waving over your head? When is that going to be? I think I think it's the last weekend in July. Jeez. You just look up the Oshkosh Air Show. Like I said, it's the largest one in the country. I think in one air show they had about 10,000 aircraft there at one time. Hey, the is, there, is there any – could I get a, one of those photos you've got of him? I mean, I know he couldn't sign it, but I'd love to get that photograph of him standing there in his flight gear. Is there any yeah, way I can get yeah. one of those? I'll email him. 
I'll email them. I'll get I on mean, that. I mean, if I got a, you know, if there's a too, cost cool. or something like that, let me know what it is. I mean, I'm not going to get crazy or anything, but. Right, right. No, don't worry about that. We'll we'll take care of that. Um, yeah, I wish I'd have known a couple of days sooner. I'd have grabbed another one. I actually <laughs> got this a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so I just have the one. It's usually hanging on the wall. But this time I said, like, okay, you know what? I've got a couple books about Corsairs. My dad has a, a nice book about Corsairs. I said, hey, can you sign a couple pages in here too? <laughs> You know, not I just like the picture, man. Yeah, it's a great shot of him on Oki. Um, heck of a guy. Then, and, and I got one more thing I really wanted to talk about. Um, and, and this one really is going to take the cake because I don't think you guys even know about this yet. So, y'all know I have this buddy in, in Japan mm-hmm. who he's a reenactor, but he does a lot of other things, works for the government over there. He comes to America every year. He hasn't been able to since COVID started. So it's been a few years since I've seen him. And we talk, I'd probably say weekly. You know, Facebook Messenger is a great thing when you have a 12-hour time difference, whatever Absolutely. Japan is from here, right? So it's cool. We get to, to stay in touch and, and share ideas back and forth. Well, he came over with one of his other co- – or two of his other colleagues, I should say. And um, to, to see Yoshiro in this little museum in Burnett, Texas was just like – amazing right and he came early enough came about two hours before the air show started gates were open to the public but we're just kind of milling around 40s music's playing um you know we're just the whole setting up thing airplanes are coming in getting ready so i i had a little bit of time to visit with him and he said hey he said you know i have something for you and i said oh you're sure you don't have to do that he goes no 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 so he said look and i don't have the i don't have this written down yet so i i may misspeak but this is how I understood the story. The Sasebo Naval Base. I think you guys have probably heard of Sasebo. Sasebo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, their flags that flew at like Cure and Sasebo, he mm-hmm. said the flags that flew there were of a different material than probably the flags that flew on just some of the islands that the, the grunts would put up. Right. You know, they didn't have the resources that we had. So okay? were they a thicker canvas? Yeah, I think they were thicker, probably more durable, um, maybe put some more time into the embroidery, whatever it was. Um, but so like and like I said, I had a little bit of a, of a hard time understanding, but uh, from, from that's from what I gathered. So um, all of the veterans from Sasebo are, are no longer around. And um, the there was a woman who was kind of the curator for this artifact Um uh, you know, was very specific as to where this artifact was going to end up. And Yoshiro says, I, I have somebody, you know, in America that I would like to, um, to present it to. Man, I'm just, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just overwhelming to, to be given this. And, and I'll share pictures and, like I said, in a story when I get it. But, um, here you go. The way I understand it, this flew over Sasebo. During World War Two. Wow, and for yeah. those of you listening, this is not the an American flag. It's obviously the the Japanese Rising Sun flag. That's beautiful. You don't see a lot of those. Most of the Japanese flags you see are just the the red ball in the middle. You don't see a whole lot of Rising Sun flags. So that's even cooler. That's beautiful. Congratulations that's beautiful. on that. <clears throat> yeah, I just so. So I mean, what's we your took... what's your thinking on display? You going to do shadow box, full frame, glass? 
Yeah, absolutely. Completely and and open. I told him that. I, I said, Yashira, I said, you need to send me everything you just told me so I can build a proper display. Because like I said, the way I understood it, this was the one that the veterans were, uh, you know, it was in their care. And once all the veterans were gone, it was in somebody else's care. And Yashira said, I want it to go here. I'm just so honored to have it. I was just speechless. Um, so, yeah, what a, what an awesome what an awesome piece of history. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think I shared the story with you guys on the air before too. Yashir was the one that he helped me translate a letter. Yes. That yes, was yes, found. yes. So, and, and that's in a, in a box and hanging, you know, in the museum now. And, and I've got another flag, like you said, just to hear Maru in the middle, but it's got a bunch of signatures on them from a lot of the guys, mm -hmm. you know, all in Japanese and Yashir could, he actually helped me pick out a few things on that too. So that's that's hanging above it as well. But I, this one, I'm not sure, you know, if this is something I want to do permanent display or maybe, um, you know, a, a temporary exhibit type thing uh, and rotate out every now and then. I'm not sure exactly how I want to do that. But just, you know, this man, the stuff that we stuff that comes across our desk is just unbelievable. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a sip of some Warbird coffee, and I'll let you all talk for a few minutes. Well, real quick, get that email that I sent you earlier, because Mr. DJ Bowen is actually hanging out in the YouTube chat right now, and we were talking about this gentleman before the show. He has quickly become, I would say, one of the more apparent. I'm not going to say, you know, we have a lot of listeners who, you know, listen, dedicate, they're dedicated and they listen a lot, but he sends us emails. He comments on our Instagram. He comments on Facebook pages. He shows up on Patreon and his name just keeps popping up. And so he's quickly climbed yeah, the rank as the most visual WTSP listener. Um, primarily, don't want to take anything from Gabriel, but he's away at boot camp and joined the Navy. So he doesn't have access to all the interfaces that he once did. And so, but DJ, we want to thank you for your support and all the things you do to help us out here and your communication. And we also want to hear from the rest of you guys. So now if you're feeling offended, I want to take this DJ guy down a peg. You can start by mailing us at mailcalledwtsp, worldwar2.com. That's wtspwwii.com. But on this week's episode of Mail Call, take it away, Jeff. All right, yeah. So, DJ, awesome, man. This is so nice to hear from you. So, great episode Monday. I read Heart of Hell and what a book. Very emotional book. Really can connect with the people. And to go through the Iwo Jima battle with them, it's actually quite emotional. Was glad to hear Dennis back on the show, switching to the topic of movie scenes that really grab you. I have one to share. It's not a combat scene. In the movie The Fighting Sullivans, the five boys were portrayed climbing a water tower to wave goodbye to their dad on his way off to work on a train when they were kids. At the end of the movie, after the family is informed of their deaths, the dad hears the train whistle and says he's never been late in X amount of years, and he's not going to start now. The scene for me is he is on the train heading out, and he's passing that water tower. He looks up, sees it's empty, and just salutes. The look on his face and eyes just sticks with me. I do not know if the scene is actually that good or if it's my own feelings connecting with it. I grew up watching the movie with my granddad, who I was so close to. He passed away when I was nine, so the father seeing that empty tower just reminds me of the emptiness of watching it without my grandfather. Little bias there, I guess. Side note, Rogue Heroes, the show was great, the book even better. 
So much so, I had to read his other book, Prisoners of the Castle, about the German POW camp in Kolditz. Think Henry was mentioned it, has mentioned it, and it too is a wonderful read. Keep up the great content, DJ. Jeff, have you gotten around to watching Rogue Heroes yet? Yeah, I know. I I wish I have not. Um, I uh, the only thing I've watched here recently uh, after receiving this package from Purse was I watched The Great Escape again. Nice. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, but you know, since we're doing shout outs and you mentioned Gabe, I do want to report that Gabe has successfully mm-hmm. completed basic training. Uh, I think he, I got that text the morning of the air show. I, yeah. He I, sent me I, a message too. Okay, good. Yeah. So, uh, he's, he's about to, to enter the new realm of active duty Navy and, uh, Don Henry, it finally happened to me. You guys have experienced this before, but, um, I think I had opened the air show. I want to say I did the first ground act maybe or right before that. So I'm running around crazy, like chicken without my head, you know, and a guy comes up to me, two guys come up to me and they go up and shake my hand. They said, Jeff. And I said, yeah. And they said, man, we love the podcast. Fantastic. Love to hear that. (laughs) Like, This is awesome. (laughs) So his name was Connor from Austin. He said he's been listening since 2021. Nice. Loves what we're doing. Uh, so, Connor, if you're listening, uh, thanks for coming up to me and shaking my hand. It really means a lot to us to when we have listeners come up yeah, and, it does. And, and tell us in person uh, that they love the show. So, all right, go ahead, Don. What do you get out there? What do you guys think? I don't do Navy. I came across this. I think we should send this to Gabe. What do you think? He's a graduation president. It's an authentic, original World War II era Navy blue cap. I think he would appreciate that. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Let me know what we need to do. Just got to get his address. He No, he sent me a message too. Um, so yeah, I'll well, reach out to him, get his address, and uh, we'll get this in the mail to him because it's, I, you know, it's just kind of out of place here. And I think it, it, I like the idea of somebody who is in his hobby as much as we are and who loves to build impressions and collect artifacts. And the fact that he just finished up Navy boot camp, I think it'd be great um, to, on behalf of us here, what's the scuttlebutt to send that out his way? Man, I honestly, I think you should just deliver it to him in Pensacola. Yeah, I could do that. I mean, it's a bit of a drive. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, if I make it that far, I might as well just keep driving north to go say hi to Henry. There you go. And then at that point, I might as well just head west and just put a little north into it and head out that way to see you. <laughs> so, isn't isn't Gabe doing? He's 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 uh, doing something with ordnance, right? He's gonna be an ordnanceman. Believe so, if I remember. I mean, it'd be really cool to. to uh, to send him a couple WTSP stickers and see if they end up on the side of some thousand pound bomb or some <laughs> that a chalk? jet on a carry somewhere. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. I have a friend of mine who was in the army in the seventies and eighties. Um, then he, he did EOD and then he went on to do weapons development and testing for the Navy. And um, well, not just for the Navy, but all the forces. And he has on the back of his house are hung up. They're probably four and a half inch thick steel plates that they shot <laughs> large ass rounds of miscellaneous, you know, ammo through, and they just leave this beautiful big spillage open stretched, and they're just mounted on the backside of his house. And every time I see one, I'm like, "That's a big ass round." I mean, these are like eight inch holes that just melted in this aluminum. I don't know what high velocity these things were huge, but it's just so cool to see them. You know, because he's had them for years. Like, well, just put them on the back of my house in Florida. <laughs> it's like perfect. 
Wow. That's great. Oh, boy. That reminds me of, uh, of a little project I was involved in. When I was still, when I was still active, there was a guy that was um, trying to basically sell this bulletproof glass to, to the government. Okay. Um, and this is at the start of the war. This is actually before I deployed, so this would have been like 02, 03. And uh, give me a second. I've got a, I've got a, an example of it here. But it, sure. was, it was interesting because it's real thick, but it doesn't distort anything behind it, right? You, know, you reach a certain thickness and you see it's wavy or whatever. Well, I mean, yeah, because they usually can, put sheets of like a rubbery plastic in between the layers, and that has some effect on the transparency, especially after it takes around. But right, right, and that's what was so neat about this. So this was, I mean, it's it's thick, but. I mean, it's just like looking through a single pane glass window. So it would have been perfect for like windshields for Humvees. And of course, this is before all the up armor yeah. stuff came out, you know, and it was taken care of. So the, the deal kind of flopped. But I spent all day taking every caliber round you could think of with a shield and eye protection and literally walking up to the stuff point blank wow. and firing it. So, yeah, I'll give you an example here in just a second. This was a, uh, I think it was a 44 Magnum nice. in this thing. Yeah. You should see what a, a thirty out six from an M one Garand does to a computer hard drive from seventy yards away. It puts a nice big hole in the back of him. And he's back already with a quickness. Yeah, so this this makes a cool like conversation paperweight on your desk. Yeah, oh yeah. Still got the round in it. That's pretty mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah, it's just all it's just all mushroomed out. So the thickness is I mean, yep. I don't know, not quite two inches. But the thickness of where the bullet you know went in is you know barely an eighth of an inch and you can see there's some damage in, inside but it's perfect on the back and you know i mean you, you can you can see how clear it is where it's not damaged you can see you where know, like I mean, the force look, you, you the, can read my t-shirt through it yeah and you can see where the inertia was basically captured and it just stopped. yeah Stop. <laughs> yeah so this is this is pretty cool to have on the desk there but um yeah, yeah that just kind of reminded me of that we were talking about the flag that you got as a beautiful gift earlier and i had a thought do either one of you i'm sure jeff probably has three or four of them but you guys both have 48 star american flags right i do yeah i do it's actually in the archives at auburn but i do yeah Looking at those original flags, it makes you realize, and obviously we don't have them nowadays because the majority, if not all of our flags are synthetic, but the reason they had flag codes back in the day, you know, the whole not supposed to keep it out in the rain, not supposed to keep it out in the dark, it's just because that material would just quickly get so beaten up because mm -hmm. it was just basically heavy canvas, yeah. cotton and whatever twines they had of the day. But my mine actually came from my grandmother, and the funny story behind it was she was a Girl Scout, no, Boy Scout, no, Girl Scout, because she had three daughters. Girl Scout, Scout leader, and um, she had a 48-star flag, because that's how many states we had at the time. And then when we brought in the, the uh, state 40, actually, no, then I think it quickly jumped to the 50th, because we brought in two more states, and it was right away. Then there was never really a 49-star flag. And so by the time she was getting really into the Scout leading we had 50 states but she couldn't afford a new flag and so she always felt kind of you know guilty for still having a 48 star flag you know flying at their scout leading things but she just mm -hmm. the money there for a flag that large and so um i have it here i have it i have it put away but it's it's kind of cool to see 48 star flags like that one as you were 
saying that, Don, I just remembered the story on the one that I had and my dad had. So my grandfather was a doctor in the National Guard in mm-hmm. World War One. Okay. Um, now he did not, he was not in Europe, but he, he was for quite a long time in Plattsburgh, New York. And this, this flag that we, and it's huge, right? I mean, it's like the size of the wall in your bedroom. Yeah. Uh, it flew over that base, I believe it you know, probably over the hospital or something where he would have been obviously as a doctor. But, um, I think I remember my mom telling me that. So, and, and it's like, it's kind of beat up. You can tell it's beat up by the mm-hmm. wind and all, but I have a uh, I have a couple forty eight stars. I actually would love to get a Betsy Ross flag just yeah. to put out for Fourth of July. I keep one out here, you know, lit up at night. But um, I have a, of course, not a forty eight star flag. It's a fifty star flag. But I was tasked one day when we were in Baghdad. It's a huge cardboard box, huge cardboard box, and the the colonel comes out with it and tells, "Yeah, just put it in the back of that truck there." I'm like, pointing it at my Humvee. I'm like, "What the heck?" I don't have room for huge cardboard box. What the heck is that? <laughs> and it was, it was a box room. of flags. Nice. It was literally just a box of flags sent over. And I forget the organization. And um, they just wanted to say they had a little like certificate made up to say that this flag was on a combat patrol, you know, in Iraq. And I was like, well, that's that's cool. But like, will we get one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd like to kind of have one. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, all of us in the truck got to have one. That's the one I keep it's folded over the fireplace, you know, in the living nice. room there, but, um, really cool little certificate. And, uh, I thought about it then and it makes me think about what you guys are saying now, you know, it's, it's nothing, but you know, 50, hundred years from now, maybe my grandkids are like, Hey, you know, this old 50 star flag, mm-hmm. you know, my great grandpa had on a combat, you know, patrol and Baghdad, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, I, we could only hope. I always find the dumbest things funny and it always brings a, a giggle to me when i drive up i know this is a worldwide podcast but we're going to get a real regional as i drive up the six lane thoroughfare that is known as pine island on one side you have a jeep dealership got all the jeeps out there all the american cars got a big ass american flag on the other side is a nissan dealership whose american flag is a little bit bigger it's like Mm -hmm. yeah nissan's like yeah they got the biggest hold our hold our sake we're gonna fly a big ass american flag to make the dodge dealer look you know it's like come on dodge you got to get a bigger flag out there you can't let the japanese dealership across the road have the bigger american flag you just gotta you gotta take it back you're gonna have all your jeeps out there with the white stars on it trying to look like willies you gotta get the bigger flag you gotta put the bigger flag someday in the future somebody (laughs) may see that massive flag you know what 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 incredible piece of history is this? I flew over Jim Scanner Ford in downtown. You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I I'd be curious to see what the dimensions are because the Dodge dealership, which is right across the street from our hangar, that's I used to work there right out of high school. That flag is thirty by fifty. I believe it. Man. When and, I... and I mean, it is a tough cotton. I remember having to change it mm-hmm. one year. It took four of us just to get it out of the box. And there was one, and he was a pretty good-sized boy hanging on to it, keeping it, you know, a couple of us keeping yeah. it off the ground. And as it was going up, he was hanging on to it. He got lifted up and over a Dodge <laughs> Neon. <laughs> <came back> down. <laughs> but it is a huge flag. You know, it's funny. In Grove City, where I grew up, the Denny's, of all places, had a huge flag. Probably as big as the one, maybe a little bit bigger. 
and they had a deal struck up with the high school's ROTC and marching band, they would allow them to use that flag during the football halftime shows in exchange for the high school would pay to keep the upkeep on the flag. Because it would, you know, once again, it's not nylon, it's this heavy canvas, but it would take a, a whooping. And so our school would pay to maintain that flag. And this thing was just, it looked great out on the football field. But yeah. I could not imagine trying to do the giant football fold on that thing. It's like, we need like uh, two four wheelers and a protractor. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, can I throw something in please? on the flag bit? Yep. So, being March 2023, so th- this is the only flag I've got. This is my, the Eugene Sledge's funeral flag. Wow. And that, that was earlier this month, you know, in 2001. That's I don't beautiful. know why I didn't think to mention that. Wow. It, at some point in the past, March 3rd, but his funeral, I think it was like the 5th or 6th of 01. Jeez. But, you know, that thing, I mean, Jeff, I'm sure you've seen it done many times. Still got the rounds, like the Marine when they were folding it up. One of the, that kid Beauty, looked like he couldn't have been. Country. Okay, yeah, he took, because he, he was right by, he was right in front of me when he did it. And I swear I think this kid was crying. He couldn't have been 17. And he took those rounds and stuck them in there when he folded it. I, I just awesome. always remember that. Yeah, that's awesome. But back Gosh, to dealership yeah. flags. <laughs> Not didn't need to change the mood there. What's Let's, up, Mike know. Miller? Checking in on YouTube. Thanks for checking in. And uh, DJ came back. Said, "Love the show. Keep up the." And he's actually up to watch. Usually, uh, we're a little late for him. He's he's got to hit the early, early snooze button. But hey, uh, tell so Don tell. DJ that uh, Henry, ben I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if you'll know how the internet works, but he can hear you. So go ahead, you can tell him. He's, hey, you know what? I'll just I'll just forget my comment. No, please you guys tell keep him. Talking. Please tell him. I want you to tell him. I don't need to tell well, him. Well, you you. Ha- I'm sorry. You, you can tell him. So DJ, I did email Ben McIntyre to to come on the show, who wrote Rogue Heroes and who wrote Prisoners of the Castle, and um, he says his current publisher won't allow him to in, any more obligations. So. Unfortunately, I, he, but he did remember meeting me in New Orleans. He, he sent a very kind reply, said he enjoyed meeting me in New Orleans back in November at the international conference. But I was hoping I could get Ben to come on the show. The DJ's laughing his ass off in the YouTube channel right now. <laughs> See, unfortunately, the internet isn't a way where you could get the message back unless you were to log into YouTube right now, too. But uh, yeah, uh, wait a minute. Mark Miller came back. I was born in South Korea, uh, South Korea, Seoul, Korea. Fantastic, oh Mark. Mike. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's a, Easy. Puppy. It's a puppy. Easy moose. Easy moose. Everything comes to a screeching halt when there's a puppy on the show. <laughs> Look at that puppy. They get, a... They're getting bigger. Go ahead. Henry, say it. You always say something when there's a doggy on the screen. I oh, that... goodness. Can I look at that puppy dog? No, you say something about <laughs> stinky breath or something every time. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. our dogs. <laughs> <sighs> Man, so what's uh, harder? Yeah, because you still have some that are youngins, puppy or babies? <laughs> Both. Man, <laughs> I was just thinking that. At least the so, baby don't chew your shoes. Yeah, but the babies—it's <laughs> the baby's shoes because they leave them around, and then the dog gets them. It's like this vicious circle. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me. So, happy birthday to our buddy uh, Matthew Leach. Everybody knows him as First Sergeant Floyd Talbot, Band of Brothers. Um, I have been, uh, I have accepted the challenge. Apparently this guy has like more energy than anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Henry, maybe you can attest to this. I don't know, but everybody's like, oh yeah, you can't keep up with, okay. 
Well, we're going to see. I, cha- I tell them challenge accepted when I get there in June because if I can keep up with four kiddos and a puppy and haven't slept in like probably like, you know, a normal full night of sleep like a human should get probably like 20 years. I'm, you know, a high school teacher running a museum, a board of directors for the library, hanging out with you guys, still reading books. Um, bring it on, Mr. Leach. Bring it on. What's I can't th- wait to see what this guy's got. He's supposed to schlep you all over the... All we over shall the... see. We shall see. Excited to uh, see what happens there. Hopefully he leaves <laughs> yeah. you in the dust since you just like threw down we'll the see gauntlet. see who drops first. Because, <laughs> man, this puppy... Yeah. Anyway. You're going to land, Yay, get off the plane, puppy. he's going to walk up and smack you with an airborne glove and said he demands satisfaction. <laughs> he's going to challenge you to a physical walkathon duel. <laughs> <laughs> 20 miles at dawn sir well i remember when we went the first time i went to new orleans in the world war ii museum we was it's like a couple's weekend no. uh so yeah me and tammy another good friend of mine and, and his wife and they live in san antonio so we went there to their place first and uh we were gonna leave in the morning and we had a beautiful room at the oh gosh i can't think of the name of the hotel now the higgins um, no it was a yeah, Maison Dupuis, because they dump the rates. You know, any other time of year, I wouldn't spend that kind of money to fall asleep. But yeah. in November, they make it somewhat affordable for normal people. And beautiful hotel, right? I don't know. It's usually probably 500 a night, something like that. And we got it for way less. So, um, yeah, we're just up talking. It was like 9, 10 o'clock. And um, we were just talking about how excited we were to get there. And I was like, why don't we just go? They're like, what do you mean? Like, let's just go now. Like, drive through the night? I'm like, yeah, I'll drive. I'm driving anyway. I'll drive through the night. Drove through the night, got there, had a hand grenade for breakfast. <laughs> if y'all have been there and you know what that is. Well, we um, all know that Jeff actually has a coffee pot that he puts in the console of his truck when he drives across the country. <laughs> you, you saw that, didn't you? Stack full of uh, <laughs> Warbird coffee, and he's just hitting the road. White line Warbird fever. Co- I'll tell you, I wish I had Warbird coffee then because, man, this stuff, let me tell you, if you guys get you some Warbird and you get the the P47, they got their little uh, horsepower marks down here. It's like kills on the side of an airplane, right? Get your prop spinning, does it? This one's like you're in a negative 3G dive inverted. (laughs) This one's so hyped up. Um, This is five out of five. (laughs) Yeah, that was a Top Gun reference. Um, Yeah, get you some Warbird because if you're tired, you won't be. Henry. What you reading? Battle of the Bismarck Sea by Michael Veach. Um, I finished Red Scorpion by Pete Sasgin. And I just started Battle of the Bismarck Sea by Michael Veach. And he's written a couple other books on the New Guinea. He's Australian. And I came by him. I came to... Be aware of who he was from watching World War II TV, Paul Woodedge. But he's done a lot of writing on the New Guinea fighting. So um, in that aspect of the Pacific War fascinates me. So, yeah, I started that. And then he wrote another book on Milne Bay that I want to read after this one. Jeffrey? With the old breed. I didn't get a chance to ask the question. Everybody waits. They repeat it in their car. It's become a thing. Everybody wants the thing. Hey, Jeff, what you read? 
Okay, I am reading With the Old Breed by one and only Mr. E.B. Sledge. So, uh, Henry's father, everybody's hero, and it's just better. It's even better than the first time oh, I read it. Thank you, It's Joe. incredible. And it's like spaghetti. Here, so, it's better the second second time through. You could say that. <laughs> you could say that. But at a certain point, I think spaghetti starts taking a nosedive, and I think with the old breed, we'll just keep doing this forever. Um, Is there I'm something the part... you picked up on on your second read through that you passed over? Because we said before, you know, this is one yes. of those books that you pick up on so many little things, especially after becoming more familiar with the subject matter and perhaps watching the show second or third time through what's something that just oh how did i miss that the first time um yes and i was just i was just going to talk about there was a certain thing but i'll be honest reading that so when i read it the first time i had not that this means anything hang on screaming baby in the background um but i had zero college education the first time i read it like i said that doesn't mean i'm any smarter now it's just i i look for I guess maybe certain things I pick up on, so it's more the tone and how it's written is what I picked up on the most. And like I, I think I mentioned this before, like just the first sentence of the first page, really kind of this is matter of fact. This is it. This is the cold hard steel. It's it. This is not a literary masterpiece with assimilation. This is words that are very strategic and. It's not overdone. So I, I picked up on that from the first sentence of the first page of the first chapter and understanding it written that way has really helped. Of course, seeing, you know, knowing Henry now for a little while definitely gives a more intimate look. But here is the biggest thing I didn't realize. And and I think it's just condensed when we watch Pacific because we think that's accurate, right? <laughs> um but I think I had no idea. So the scene where uh, where your father and um, let's see, Bergy and I guess Snafu, Snafu one or two other guys, Layden. is on the pillbox. Layden, I guess, was there yeah. on the pillbox where they thought it was already clear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, um, thought that was Pele Lou. <laughs> yeah, thought, thought that was on page we, right? We're ju- we, may, we maybe you weren't that, on yeah. that episode. We were talking about that exact thing about how in the Pacific they made it look like that was just walking through Peleliu. Oh, there's a bunker over there. It was completely involved right. a different landing. You want? <laughs> different... I, you want? I know we've talked about this. Yeah. I'll tell you again that when the conversation I had with Bruce McKenna, when because he called me before they were going to film that. I mean, Jeff, do you want me to repeat that? or? Yeah, we get new listeners all the time. Yeah, so go ahead, because so, I would love for you to say the name of the island first, too, before I do Yeah, it. sure. So where that actually occurred, on, there was this little island just to the north across a causeway called Ingecebus, or Nicosebus, or uh, Netibus, as people in Palau pronounce it, but I've always just called it Ingecebus. Um, but it was the determined that we needed The vocabulary word of the day is Ingecebus. Yeah. Um, so it was determined we needed it because for two reasons, for the fighter field that was on it. Um, and then also to prevent the Japanese coming down from the Northern Plow Islands from landing there and then jumping across to, to reinforce the garrison on Peleliu. So D plus 13, September 28th, um, they went across. It was only... It was only 3rd Battalion who went across. Nobody, I think, the other regiments did not go across. Um, the other battalions of the 5th Marines, I think it was just 3rd Battalion. Uh, but the 
I remember Bruce calling me before they shot that episode, before they shot that scene at the bunker where, you know, as it is in the book, the, the you know, my, the Japanese soldier comes up in the mouth of the, the uh, pillbox after the Amtrak fired three point blank rounds into it. And he tries to get a grenade off of my dad's first one with his carbine and starts shooting him. Um, and Bruce told me, he said that the director's concerned because at this point in the show, We've already seen, you know, X number of hours of shooting and killing and gratuitous violence. So we, we really want that scene to have maximum impact. So he wants to have your dad kill the guy with a bayonet. And, and of course, that was a separate conversation. That's going down a rabbit hole. But I, I asked him, I said, he said, yeah, we're going to have that like it's on East Road, part of Peleliu. And I said, well, but you know, it was on Ingecebus. I mean, are we not going to have another little landing scene he said, man, look, every time they fire up those LVTs, the budget just goes. <laughs> it is astronomical to fire those machines. Gas, up. insurance, everything. Everything. So he said, we're, we're just folding that into. And, and hey, guys, I mean, that, you know, that was my introduction to the hard world of budgetary management, character compression, scene compression, you know, all these things that we talk about because we love World War II movies, but we know they do these things. And then I, I kind of was beginning to understand that there. And then they went and gave him a damn Thompson. <laughs> well, no, he, um, what, what do you mean? In the movie, Please. he didn't have a carbine. He had a Thompson in the TV show. Well, no, on Ingus he had a carbine, but, and then later he and Snafu started sharing a Thompson. I'll have that, to... that is true. Okay. I have to look. Cause I thought in that scene, he sprayed the Japanese who ran out of the bunker towards him. I think I thought he, in a movie, I thought they gave him a Thompson instead of the car. No, actually he picks up, I think it's an M1. I'll have to go back and look. Because remember that he's, he's lying there with Bill Layton yep. and that's where they, that's where they did a little artistic license. And we had some conversations about that. And I don't want to just bore you guys with stuff I've already talked about, but, um, uh, I don't have... think our audience would find it boring regardless if Jeff and I do. <laughs> wow thanks for selling me on the idea i'm just man. saying uh, uh, we have well, new no. listeners all the time and you know even the ones who are old listeners they, they love hearing this stuff they don't mind hearing it a second time just well, so, on the other hand like jesus <laughs> you know what i'm not telling the story no, yet tell the story it. i want to hear, hear the story all right damn it it's called stretching no. bruce now that he knows how the internet works and other people can hear him this is going to be great <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, Bye, Jeff, DJ. send me Good some night. of that Warbird coffee, please. I, I want some, some of the P-47. I, I love P-47s. You oh. know that. Yes, sir. Yes, No, sir. but um, Bruce said, so the director's concerned that with all the shooting and killing that's been going on, we've got to give that scene more impact. We want your dad. We're going to have your dad kill the Japanese soldier with a bayonet. What do you think about that? And I said, well, I don't like it because you're altering what he wrote with the old breed. And he said, well, will you talk to your mom and your brother? We want to know how the family feels. We really are concerned about that. And so I did, and, and they were opposed to it. But but I voiced the strongest opinion because it just was altering what my dad wrote and with the old breed. And, and I said, look, I had this conversation with him as a kid. I asked him if he ever killed a Japanese soldier with a bayonet. And apart from the fact that as a mortarman, it's highly unlikely that that would have happened, but it could have with night infiltrators and such. Um, I remember him telling me, no, I never let one get close enough to me for that. We had the 45, we had the carbine, the Thompson, the among grand, you know, had some damn good weapons. I wasn't about to let that happen. So I knew that that was just a, a complete fabrication. And so I told Bruce that, um, 
And he said, okay, well, I duly noted, I'll, I'll tell the director, I think uh, Tim Baden Patton was the director of that episode, or I could be wrong on that, but um, they, they passed that on. And so then they, they did change it a little bit to, to be, you know, the way it is laden takes grenade fragments and he's lying there, you know, and uh, Sledge is trying to tend to him as best he can. And then here comes the, the Japanese soldier out and, and, you know, as we've seen it played out on film. Well, I don't think it takes away. I mean, yes, obviously, you know, you're, it was a different island, but it was all part of the same campaign. It was just, you know, it, if there was a coral reef that connected the two at lower tide, it would probably look like one island. It was so close yeah. together, right? I mean, it's <laughs> Paleolu is just such a it's the strangest looking landmass I think I've ever seen to begin with. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a little misleading for for the viewers who just don't know. Um, all the more important for people to read this this stuff, right? Read these books, yeah. and Good point. I don't know if. I really I thought it was interesting where your dad pointed out that it was uh, the first time or maybe the only time that the aerial support was strictly from marine aircraft. I believe it was the first time. BMF on fourteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, that made me kind of think: Is there any other time when there was an amphibious mm-hmm. assault that was supported strictly by marines in the air? I don't know. Um, so that kind of makes that particular island that that little campaign within a campaign Mm -hmm. that much more interesting and i'll be honest i don't know is is there any other mention besides your father or that or buddies of your father that even talk about that put this island in the history book is there anything out there probably not because i mean once they they subsequently found out and i had a great day on ingus he was when i went to pedaloo 99 you know obviously going to the bunker with eric maylander uh but Ironically enough, they discovered after we took Ingecebus, it had no purpose at all because the sand was so soft that our our fighters were a lot heavier, you know, than Zero fighters. So Corsairs and Hellcats and TBS, TBMs couldn't use it. Hmm. So it just sat there, you know. Um, I mean, I guess it did secure the area and keep Japanese from coming down from Koror and Babelthaw for reinforcements, but I mean, you know. Apart from that, we were not able to use the airfield. But to your question, Jeff, I mean, that's a good question. I, and I don't believe anyone has, you know, because it just strategically is so microcosmic and, and so specific to um, Peleliu. But, I mean, you're right. It was It's absolutely one of these shining examples of Marine Close Air Support. You know, yeah, PMF-114 just did a beautiful listening, job. Yeah, listening to your dad talk about how they were coming in, just screaming in. And multiple times where the guys were like, oh, he's not going to pull out in time. And then like, that Corsair does. And just being able to lay those accurate rounds down range. And, and that impressed me because I'm, you know, I'm aware that the Corsairs were not a joy by any means for pilots to fly. And, and, and I think in some cases, that's why they ended up in Marine squadrons, not because, oh, give the Marines the junk, you know, like people think. But no, just because they were going to be land based. Mm-hmm. And that was just it was they were more ideal to be able to, to land, you know, on terra firma than to try to catch a hook and, you know, rips the hook out, breaks landing gear, break bent props, and then that thing's down. So it made sense to be a more of a land based 
aircraft, although the Royal Navy had success as they a carrier fighter. And them. they really kind of worked the bugs out on landing it on carriers. Yeah. I don't think Marines um, actually became carrier-based with the Corsair until early 45. I'd have to look it back up in Robert Sherrod's book, Marine Aviation in World War II, but yeah. um, I actually just reread that last last year sometime. But, um, yeah, Marines didn't even get carrier-based with them until early 45, I think. Well, and they would have been on a smaller carrier anyway, right? Yeah, they were. Escort CVEs, yeah. Yep, so CVEs. that's ch another challenge in itself with an aircraft that had the largest diameter prop, I think, of any other fighter we use. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was interesting. That that was really cool. And again, not not really didn't pick up on that the first time at all. Didn't you can't pick up on that watching the Pacific. So mm -hmm. that was an interesting take, you know. So that's where I'm at now. So obviously, like you know, I've been re it's very slow reading. I'm not in a hurry to get it done. I'm enjoying it when I have the time to read. So I'm not in any in any rush. So Don maybe asked me for the next two episodes. What are you reading? I'm gonna say the same thing. <laughs> hey, I'm a slow reader too. I'm still reading. Um, I'm staying with my boys. The biography of Jean Bazalone. Real quick, I want to change things up a little bit. It's been a long time coming. Um, in the past, I've read a little bit of the information I was able to find out about my grandfather and his service. You guys basically know. Oh, he served in the ETO and he did grave registration. You can't really see it on this photo because it's got a frame. But in his wedding photo, on his left shoulder, you can make out the edge of a division patch. And I posted online, and people said, oh, that's that's the edge of the 15th Army, which I went out and got the patch, which is this. Nice. Nice. And I've had that for a while. And through some looking around, I did come across his uh, registration card and his um, other card that he filled out. But the thing that got me a little befuddled was looking up the 15th Army, they weren't activated until 1944. But my grandfather joined and signed up on February 16th, 1942. So I'm looking at this wedding photo and I'm seeing this 15th Army. I was like, well, the 15th Army wasn't put together in 44 and he joined in 42. Who else did he serve with? Well, a few weeks back, my sister said started sending me text messages and there's some cool photos i'm trying to get her to retake one it's my grandfather my grandma my grandfather's in his uniform they're at the dairy farm and in front of a fresh egg sign and there's a couple other ones with him in his uniform but they sent me a newspaper clipping and sadly it's cut off in the wrong spot and here's i'll explain to you why and if anybody out there i know we got some listeners who do some research uh, we're speculating that maybe my grandfather's um material may have been burnt in the fire but um, there, here's a newspaper clipping from the local newspaper that my grandmother cut upon his discharge and has a picture of him in his uniform. It says PFC Preston C. Woods. And underneath it says PFC Preston C. Woods, husband of Mary Ann Maxwell Woods of Richwood, was honorably discharged from the U.S. Army on November at um, Atbury, Indiana. He served approximately three years of service, spending two years Overseas in England, France, Belgium, and Germany with the 1st, the 3rd, and the 15th Army. So now I know who he served with before. Here's the thing I didn't know. PFC Woods wears the ETO ribbon with two battle stars, American Theater ribbon, Good Conduct ribbon, World War II victory ribbon, and at the edge where it was cut, the presidential cita unit citation. And then it cuts off. <laughs> it's like my grandfather got his unit, got the president, you know, unit citation. And, you know, he, he's got all these awards and ribbons, and 
that's the most I've learned from him was this one little newspaper clipping that my sister sent me a photo of because I can't find any of his information online. But luckily through that photo, I'm getting a little bit closer to trying to figure out his service. And it's kind of cool to see that he did serve, in fact, with the 1st, the 3rd, and the 15th Army. That is cool. So that's the current yeah. update on Mr. Preston Coleman Woods, my grandfather. I wonder if his time in the 3rd Army was uh, while under Patton. I don't know. That's what I was just thinking. Be interesting to yeah. find out. So um, we're going to do something new here. We're going to wrap this part of the show up. I want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support. For those of you buying T-shirts, hats, mugs, we love you. And if you've already done so, fantastic. And if you haven't but you want to support the show, you can do it in multiple ways. You can buy the aforementioned merchandise. Um, that just gets our name out there to the people who view you at work or school or wherever you wear our gear at. That's a huge thank you. Um, simply watching us on YouTube helps. Go subscribe. You can watch our live stream. If uh, you're like DJ Bowen and the others who who have to turn in a little early, you can watch the replay just because it's not live doesn't mean it's not there. It's there from here until you know, we run out of space and got to start deleting videos, which won't be anytime soon. Or you can sign up for Patreon. Uh, lowest plan's a dollar a month. If you sign up for that, we'll be perfectly happy. If you want to sign up for one of the other two plans, that's fantastic as well. Today, uh, when we were doing a little early show recording, I posted a little behind-the-scenes video up on that. So if you guys are a Patreon member and you haven't checked your email, there is a post up there today. And so we want to thank each and every one of you. And as per we said earlier, if you want to contact us, please email us at mailcall.wtspworldwar2.com. And so on behalf of myself, Henry, and Jeff, thank you guys so much. Now, for those of you on YouTube, stick around because we are going to try something we've never done here. And that is we are going to cut to some previously recorded content. <laughs>